I'd encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. You've already been introduced to our uh, concept of the verse of the year, and uh, we, we had a great uh, verse last year with the focus of uh, love for one another and how the world will know that we are his disciples because of our love for one another. And now, uh, this year, uh, the elders of the church have, uh, have said, yes, let's Let's focus upon his love for us. And I am, I'm really looking forward to uh, that being something we will come back to again and again throughout the year. Do put this in a prominent place. Prominent place is a different place for everybody in this room. But you know where you will see it often and uh, how you can memorize it because that's the first step is even if you're not good at, at memory work, I encourage you to memorize this one verse. And then after you memorize it, meditate on it, think about it. Every time you see it, say it to yourself and think about the, the implications of that and then apply it. Uh, so what does this mean to me, what, what is, why did God say this, and what's it supposed to mean, particularly in, in my life? And then, I, I want to en- encourage you to, uh, as you come across articles or devotionals or uh, stories or illustrations, anything about this verse, to feed them to me, to us. Uh, we would like to see, or tell us what God is teaching you through this particular uh, verse that we're going to focus on during uh, 2015. Today, we're going to do just kind of a, a big picture look at it, an introductory look at it, and then beginning Wednesday night, uh, Adam Williams, who is sick today, but, but by Wednesday night... I feel like he will be better. Uh, He will be teaching right down the hall here for three weeks, uh, a brief series on this verse called Welcome to the Family. And if I wasn't also teaching, I would be in that class. But I would encourage you to make that a priority. Uh, Even if Wednesday night's not in your normal schedule, it'd be a, a great time to come and, and to get that focus upon this uh, amazing verse. If, if you haven't been introduced to it, I, I, think, I think you're going to be thrilled with the content of it. So let's look a little bit at uh, the, the context. It's, in, it's not in the Gospel of John, but the, uh, the first epistle of John Now, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. An epistle is is a letter. And uh, they they often were circulated to other people. They would be read uh, and then then studied. So why 
did he write this particular letter? Well, he explains in 1 John 5, 13, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Now, that's pretty big. There are uh, people, if you would say, do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would, you would go to heaven? They're often the answer is, well, I'm not sure anybody can really know. The Word of God, the Holy Bible, says you can know. You can know whether or not you are a, a believer. And so this was written for that. Uh, they were battling some heresies in their day. Corinthius, Corinthus, uh, he was a Gnostic, and he did not believe in the deity of Christ. He distinguished between Jesus and the Christ. You know, basically everything that we... Uh, talked about during Advent about in terms of the incarnation, uh, Corinthus would have uh, said otherwise. He believed that somehow the Christ entered into Jesus at his baptism and then left him on the cross and, and so on, which is nowhere found in the Scripture. John is addressing the nature of Christ. And then he gives several tests of how you can know if you are a believer. Uh, the first test is a, a test of love. And then uh, the, the test of obedience. And then a doctrinal test. And he works his way through that in this book. And so the emphasis is, John wants to make sure people understand, look, not everybody is a believer. Not everybody is saved. And if you think everybody is saved, you may be in great danger yourself. And so he addresses that. And then we read in chapter 2, verse 28, which is right before our, our verse of the year. He says this, And now, little children, Abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Right on the heels of those statements about uh, living in righteousness and obedience, it's like a gasp. Picture children on Christmas morning. Right? You get it? That's what he does here. And that's why 
we actually chose the New International Version for us to memorize rather than the English Standard Version, which is what we normally use. And if you were following along in the English Standard Version, then you heard me immediately go into the New International Version. We believe it is accurate, but that it reflects. There's some words in there that we think reflect things that we want uh, really to focus on uh, this year. Let's take a look at, um, first of all, uh, the degree of this love, and that is this love is different than any other love that we are aware of. How great is the love, he says. Some versions say, see what great love. Behold what manner of love. Those are all strong translations. But, but it's, what, what's hard to reflect is that there's basically an outburst of uh, astonishment. Uh, how different is that love? Well, let me tell you another way this could be translated. Now, it wouldn't make as much sense to translate it this way. But that word... Uh, you know, how great is, behold, what manner of. That word could be translated from what country? Now, let me explain. Some years ago, I was on my way to uh, India to do some teaching and preaching. I uh, stopped for several days in uh, Pakistan, in Karachi, uh, and I was to do some preaching and teaching there for a few days before going to India. Now, I was supposed to go on this trip with uh, a fellow traveler who was a world traveler. This was, for me, the first time I'd ever really done any international travel by myself, the fellow traveler that I was just going to follow around, his visa didn't come through. So all of a sudden, two days before the trip, I realize I'm taking this trip myself. Now, in, in, in Karachi, we were meeting a friend of my friend. He had all the arrangements. He had it all made. But when we got there, all I knew was a pseudonym, a fake name for him. And I didn't have a phone number. You know, little details like that. <laughs> and so it's maybe 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I, I get my, my luggage and I look around and I don't really see anyone else there. Nobody looking for me. I had what I would probably describe as... Uh, on my face, the lost leave it to beaver look. Do you know that? You know, that, that frightened look, you know? Now, if somebody had seen me, and you're going to have to wait and hear the rest of the story some other time, but if somebody had seen me, they did find me eventually, okay? The question would not have been, I wonder if he's, what part of Karachi he's from. Because... I looked different, 
I acted different, and I talked different, the only question would be, from what country is he? Because I was so different than all those I was surrounded by. John says, that's the category this love is in. It is so different that it is obviously not a kind of love we are used to seeing. But as Martin Luther said, what glorious, sublime love this is. It's not only different, it's also deeper than any other. One commentator said, we can no more understand this love than we can look into the center of the sun. It is a love that does not ever shrink from sacrifice. It's a love that's given when there's no lovableness on our part. It's a love that won't be put off by our sinfulness. In fact, to understand how deep uh, is that love, basically we, we need to know that we are more sinful and more lost than any of us really think we are. Jack Miller used to say, cheer up. You're worse than you think. (laughs) But then the other side of that, yeah, we're worse than we think. But we are more deeply loved than we can imagine. So we've got to see those two sides of it if we are to understand how deep his love is for us. So how does he apply it? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. See why we chose that rather than has given us? He's lavished it upon us. 1 John 4.10 clarifies that. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins be the propitiation, the substitutionary offering, the atonement, the payment for our sins. He didn't offer something. He was the offering. That's how deep the love is. We love because He first loved us. Some of you will remember that old gospel song. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. What's next? Because, don't feel bad if you didn't know it. It's an old one. Because he first loved me. 
See, if, if you stop with, oh, how I love Jesus, then it's all man-centered. It's all about me and my great love. But the balance that puts any love that I may show towards him, the balance of that is because he first loved me. And that helps us understand how he puts that love upon us. Why does he first love us? Because we couldn't first love him. In fact, the scripture's clear on that. God shows his love for us, Romans 5 8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the Gospel of John, it says, The light came into the world, chapter 3. The light came into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light. We hated the light. That was our only capacity without him. Not to love him. Not to initiate a relationship with him. But to hate him. You may be saying, well, no, no, I've never hated him. If you've had any passion for him whatsoever, it's because he first loved you. Absolutely. You did not have the capacity. The day before John Owen went to be with the Lord, he wrote, or he actually dictated for his uh, uh, friend a letter. And this is what he says. I am going to him whom my soul has loved, or rather who has loved me with an everlasting love, which is the whole ground of my consolation. You see what he's saying? He says, I'm, I'm going to the one I love. Wait a minute. No, who, who has loved me, and that's my only comfort in this moment, is that he has lavished me with his his love. Owen said in communion with God, he said, the greatest sorrow, the greatest burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. See, some of us would say, well, the, the, the greatest unkindness I could do to him would be to be disobedient or to not read my Bible or not go to church or something. No. Owen, I think, and I think Owen is exactly right. The greatest unkindness is to imply that by doing these things, then maybe he will love me. But instead, he loves me and then gives me a desire to do those things. So what's the identity of of this love? What does it mean for us? Well, the ultimate expression of his lavishment upon us is that we are called children of God. And I guess you know that's one of my favorite phrases because we end every service here in that way, because it's the last thing I want you to remember. I, I always say, 
children of the living God, reach out and receive the Lord's benediction. Because that's, that's what I want on all of our minds when we go from here is, oh yeah, we, we are children of the living God as we go from here. It's not our nature, but it's by God's grace. Uh, J.I. Packer said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. In other words, if that's not really a big deal to somebody, then they may not really understand what it is to be in relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and that's what we are. You know, lest there's any doubt how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. It's one thing to be called that, but then he, he takes any doubt away. He said, that's what we are. It's, it's our, our legal status. We are adopted into the family. My wife Connie's brother and his wife just adopted two girls that they had fostered for a couple of years. And they're with us every, every Thanksgiving. They have three other children, older children. And uh, those little girls had been with us for the last uh, several Thanksgivings. But right before this Thanksgiving, over in Alabama where they live, they went to court and the judge declared, your last name is now Latner. It will forever be that. And so this year when they came, now we always welcomed them. They were foster children. We welcomed them. We fed them. We let them eat with us and, and so on, obviously. But this year was different. Thanksgiving, we, we had a big cake for them. Welcome to the family, Madison and Tiffany. And they, they had a seat at our table, not because we were so kind, but, but they deserve it because they're part of our family. It's their rightful place, and it will be forever. Let me talk about two signs that represent that legal status. Neither of these signs establish the fact that we are a child of the living God, but both of them are a sign that point towards that. The first is baptism. Some of you asked me how my week off was. I actually took one day off last Sunday and went, went to Georgia and there I had the, the, the privilege of uh, baptizing uh, our fifth grandchild. 
Abel Dean Park. We trust that one day Abel will stand in front of a congregation and profess his faith in Jesus Christ by his own profession. It's not about his parents' decision. When he does, he will not be rebaptized. In that way, baptism is like a, the declaration in court. It takes place once, but it's not necessary to repeat. The other sign is a privilege of being part of the family. Like Tiffany and Madison, it's a place at the table that is the table for the family, that which we have before us today. So today what you see in front of you is a family meal. If you're part of the family because you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, then you are welcomed at this table. It's for you. Not just the good children, but even those who may be struggling. Because it's at this table where, where He nourishes us where things happen, where repentance takes place, where doubts are fortified, where faith grows. That's what we enjoy here. And that's why he wants us to take together. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. See, that's somebody outside the family or somebody who refuses to be part of the family. Either by choosing their, their own way, their own sin over worship of God or never becoming part of the family. Anyone who partakes in that way will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So <clears throat> the Father wants to graciously invite and graciously warn he invites his children. He says, come to dinner. For here, I'll meet with you. And 
your faith, your soul will be nourished. And for those outside the family, we would say we're glad you're here. Watch. Listen. But whatever you do, don't make a mockery of this table. He has told us he takes that seriously. And it's just not worth it to impress somebody near you to eat and drink judgment on yourself. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that great love that you've lavished on us. And we come to this table that represents all that you did to show your love. The Lord Jesus on the cross giving his body and his blood on our behalf so that we didn't have to. And so, Lord, will you help us to partake with great joy, with great relief, fearing now no condemnation because of what Jesus Christ has done. Will you take these elements and set them apart from their ordinary, everyday use and use them to nourish our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.